G'day and welcome to the Pursuit of Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Rosie Burrows, and I'm on a journey to find my freedom so that I can help you do exactly the same. Join me each week as I share the stories of everyday people who have found their own path to freedom. I'm not going to focus on job titles and accolades because I don't care about that stuff and neither should you. I want to uncover what truly makes you tick. Who are you when you step away from society's expectations and follow your heart? I still haven't figured it out yet. Have you? Either way, buckle up because it's going to be one hell of a ride. Welcome. Joining us today is Stuart Townsend um, all the way in the UK. I'm in sunny Australia. It's daytime for you, Stu, and nighttime here. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks, Rosie. It's, uh, it's actually a little bit sunny here for once. Unreal. Spring is coming, hey? <laughs> Hopefully. So, Stu, you, um, you started off in the corporate world, and then you've kind of, I don't want to give away too much of your journey, but there's been sort of a, a few different stages. And at the moment, you're in Podcast Hawk, you're a co-founder there and CMO. But I was wondering if we could start hearing about Younger Stew, what was it like leading up to those corporate days? What was life like for you? I, I like that term, let's hear about Younger Stew, because that was a long time ago. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, quite, <laughs> quite a bit of time ago, but we won't talk about that sort of thing. It's fine. In terms of, I suppose, where, where I started off, as any 14 to 16-year-old, you're looking, uh, I was the one trying to find the easy, easy job and easy route and such. Um, and I started life at working in a garage, and I thought, I'll set up a little company called Grindbusters. Ghostbusters was the film of the time, giving my age away. Um, and Grindbusters was like a valeting company. I couldn't drive cars. Um, I was only 14, but I worked in a garage cleaning cars, so I... Um, I used to get people to bring cars at the weekend and stuff. I thought, this is okay, creating your own little business. It's not too bad, is it? Mm-hmm. Until I realized, actually, I wasn't charging enough because buying the washing products and everything else was way too expensive. Um, so, hey-ho, that, that's lessons learned. Um, but actually, what happened is I got offered a job there when I left school at 16. And <clears throat> I got offered a job as an apprentice at um, British Gas in the IT division. Um, which was a miracle. I don't know mm-hmm. how I got off of that, but it was a miracle. But of course, British Gas was £5 a week less money and a bus ride there. The garage was a five-minute wow. walk and £5 more. So I went to work at the garage. <clears throat> um, so it took me a couple of years to realise that working, working at a garage in the middle of winter in England uh, is not really a, it's not the best job in the world. So I decided to make my first career move (laughs) at 18 uh, and went to go and work at a steel company, um, basically selling my old cold uh, cold rolled steel um, and looking after depots and doing some stuff like that, which was great because what it taught me was, one, um, do what you're told, but also push back as well because if you think something's wrong, then, then it may be wrong mm-hmm. uh, from that side, which when you're cutting steel and it's four or £500 a tonne and it's expensive and you've got an order for £2,000 and you cut it short, you've lost £2,000. It's gone. Um, so it taught yeah, me some yeah. aspects around that sort of, even if people are older than you, they don't necessarily know everything is right. But when you're younger, you don't necessarily know everything either. So there's that balance, isn't there? Um, mm-hmm. So that was quite quite an interesting time sort of, I was there for 10 years or more. But in that time, I realized I didn't want to sell steel all my life because most of the people in that industry, that's all they did all their life. Um, So I'd met my first wife, one of many. (laughs) I met my first wife in the industry. She worked worked for the same company um, and we got together and um, I decided to go to university and go and get my HNC, my degree, uh, and my master's and everything that I needed to go and get a job in corporate. Wow. So I didn't actually get a corporate job until I was 30. I was the old kid on the block. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a bit of a journey to get there. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't the easiest route. It was like, you know, it's, you can put it to that sliding doors moment. If I would have gone to British Gas and got a job in IT, I could have got into corporate a lot easier. But I went the hard way. Uh, but I got where I wanted to be. It just took... A long time 
But actually, it was really great because I learned a lot on the way. I made some good friends. I've still got friends now from there. Um, mm-hmm. And I made, you know, different different connections and stuff. But it taught me some lessons around, um, you know, it, it's easy going up to the top, but it's your friends who look after you when you fall to the bottom. Mm. Tell me more about that. That sounds interesting. Yeah. It was, um, the steel firm was quite sort of, old school, shall we say. Um, the managing director sat at the top of the table. Um, everybody sat in an order, depending on what their position in the company was. And I sat at the end of the table because I was like the young chap. Uh, and it was always, you know, as you were sort of building up what you were doing and your role and that sort of thing, you get little snippets and insights. And Keith, who was the MD, <clears throat> still a good friend now, you know, he, was, he basically said, there's one thing you need to remember, Stu, is it's really easy to work your way up to the top in any company and sort of get there and crawl your way through and push people out of the way and all that sort of thing. But by doing that, you're alienating everybody. So when you fall from grace, as you will do at some stage, you're going to fall really quickly because mm-hmm. there's nobody there to support you. Nobody's going to be there to help you. So always remember, everybody's replaceable. It doesn't matter who you are. On what position you are, you're replaceable. Um, so always do the right thing. Do it the right way. Don't push people out of the way. Be respectful. And and also be mindful that we all need to learn. You know, it was like, if only, it was him that supported me in going to university. It was like him that said, I can see that you're bored here. So we're going to pay for you to go and do part-time at uni. So you can do your HNC, and you can do all this. And at some stage, you're probably going to leave. But in the meantime, we'll pay for you to do that because... You can either have a pay rise or that. It's like, well, well, I'm going to take that. Um, so really supportive. But, yeah, it was, it was more of that aspect of, you know, don't forget. And you look at it now, you look at sort of businesses now, and uh, it doesn't matter if you're the CEO, CMO, whatever, you, you're always replaceable. And, and in sales, it's like you're replaceable the next quarter. If you've had a bad quarter or bad two quarters, oh, you're out. See you later. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really prominent at the moment, isn't it, with all the, the tech layoffs in the media? Like it's you really are replaceable. But going yeah. back to um, your friend Keith, was it? It's yeah. It sounds like, you know, that's really wise advice and I imagine that's served you well over the years. Oh, it, de- it definitely has. It sort of it keeps you grounded in a way of uh, – and, and, you know, look back. I was having a conversation a couple of weeks ago, sort of one of those – life reflection type moments of where I'm at now and what we're doing with Podcast Hawk and that sort of thing. Um, and I look back at where I started and I'm glad I worked in the garage. I have no regrets about the decisions that I made mm. because I've learned something on each step that's helped me get to where I am now. Um, yeah, I, I would have liked to have been there in my 30s and been one of the cool kids and run about and stuff, but it's all material things. It's That's that's the aspect of that. Isn't it? Whereas now it's like, yeah. no, it's, it was a good journey to go. Whereas I could have gone and worked at British Gas and in IT and gone and done something different, but I wouldn't have met all the people that I've met. I wouldn't have learned things that I've learned. I wouldn't have gone through right. that experience, right. um, which, yeah, I have I have no regrets about. Yeah, which I think is great. I think, you know, for younger people who might be listening, I think it can be really overwhelming figuring out what path to go down. And often we might not be able to go down the path we want to straight away. But, you know, would you agree that you're a totally different person now to the person perhaps you would be if you started off at British Gas? Yeah, definitely. I think British Gas, if I would have gone there, um, I probably would I wouldn't have been more cutthroat. It's not my character, but I think I would have been a different person in terms of trying to climb up that corporate yeah. ladder and be the IT director there or something right. that isn't me. And, and you're right about young people. You know, my son, um, he works in accounts. I don't know what he does. I can never remember. He tells me all the time, but it's it, he works in accounts. <laughs> he's doing his qualifications. Um, but at the weekend, he's a he's what in the UK what's called a special. He's a part time police officer, so he's a firearms officer um, trained, waiting for a position. He's also a he's now retrains a traffic officer while he waits a position to become a fully trained firearms officer, um, and he still doesn't know what he wants to do. And I said to him, I didn't know what I wanted to do, Jordan, until I was in my thirties. Or my 40s, 
well, actually, my 50s, I still don't know now because it changes. There is no, there is no path, but don't worry about it. <laughs> I was going to say, do like, you know don't, what don't, you want to do yeah. even now? <laughs> exactly. It's like, but there is no path, is there? When I was younger, it used to be your path is you go and work at Kellogg's or you go and work for this company. And it's a job for life. That doesn't exist anymore. You know, your path can be, I was doing some mm. training in college uh, about three or four months ago. I do sort of like some work in a local college. And I was saying to the young people there that are in their second year so don't just don't worry about it create your own create your own business if you want to but don't worry about it you'll find your way you don't have to decide you're 18 or 19 it is you don't you can you can change any time now there is no prerequisite it's not like you have yeah. to um go down that path consistently it, it just gets a bit i think they just get told don't they definitely yeah there's so much pressure on young people like you know i'm I'm in my early 30s, but I, you know, vividly remember how I felt in high school and all the pressure to choose what I wanted to do. And my sister, she's 10 years younger, and I had to see her go through it. She's 21 now. She still doesn't know what she wants to do. And I said to her, don't worry about it. Neither do I. Yeah, <laughs> I don't exactly. think a lot of people do, but that's the beauty of it because yeah. you, you get to discover what you like and what you don't. And it's about finding something that you enjoy into. Yeah. I mean, did you enjoy your time in corporate? Oh, yeah, I loved it. Mm. Um, and, and basically, yeah, so when I, when I was 30, I'd got my HNC, I got my degree, I'd got all my qualifications I needed. Um, and it was late, was it late 90s? I have to do the maths. Yeah, it was late 90s, 2000s when I joined Sun. And the and the IT and well basically the economy just like sank like a stone, um, so I was one of the last graduates to join. So I joined as a um, as a graduate. Essentially, everybody else is about 22, 23, or whatever age you come out of university. I was thirty, and there's another chap called Jimmy who was thirty. We were the old men, basically. We just got you know abused. Um, but Sun was a great company. It was an amazing company. And for those that don't know, Sun Microsystems was a, a company born out of the 80s. It was just fun, um, great great technology ahead of its time, but great people as well. We still mm. all keep in touch now. And the only reason they came out of corporate is because that company got acquired and I didn't like working at Oracle. Um, and, I didn't, and then I thought, well, there's never going to be another company like Sun Microsystems. So I'll get the next best thing. I'll go and work in some startups instead because it'll be that same sort of growth pattern um, around it. Yeah, I was going to ask about, well, where did you go from corporate? So you entered this startup world and it sounds like that decision was grounded, I guess, in some of your values. Like you, you realized, okay, the direction Oracle's going isn't, I don't want to be part of that. And you pivoted. So I'm interesting, I'm interested, sorry, to hear you know, was did that take a while to make that decision? What kind of thoughts were going through your head when you were deciding what to do? Yeah, so basically I was just finishing. So Oracle had acquired Sun. And, and my boss at Oracle was fab. It was like, you know, just find your path and see if there's something you like. Um, you've, you've got like a year mm. and then oh, we're offering packages. So you've got a year to decide. And I tried different things. It just wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't the same. And in the meantime... I've been talking to some of the companies because he used to run a startup. Pro I built a business inside some working with startups. So I was talking to some of my customers and friends, excuse me. Um, so when I left Oracle, um, I was finishing my master's, I was doing a master's in social media and psychology and I finished that. And in the meantime, a chap called Nick Halstead had just been, had been taking money into Datasift. And he said, once I've got my last round, I can offer you a job. Can't offer you a job now. But once we get that next round, I can offer you a job. And I'm like, what's, what's the job? Well, it's been an adult, basically, because we've got loads of developers and I want to do <laughs> the developer stuff with them and have fun. I want you to do the boring stuff around sales, marketing and channel and business development and all that stuff. It's like, all right, okay. Oh, that sounds like good fun. Um, so after about six months, finished my master's, Nick got investment, I started, but it meant again, I had to move to Reading in the week. Um, and again, it puts like, you know, different pressures on, doesn't it? Uh, but literally I was, I was so tired. That was, it, it was a wake up call of about how hard you work inside a small company, working inside a small business unit in a corporate, I thought was tiring and demanding. Working inside a small company that you're always under pressure 
not not in a in a different style of pressure. It's a fun sort of pressure of right. Okay, I don't know. I've got to do a call with Japan. Right. Okay. It's half past ten at night. I'm in bed. I've got to do a demo of the product. Yeah. And I'm you know it's just sort of random stuff like that. But it was again it, it got that feeling back again of working inside some microsystems. That same sort of camaraderie. Everybody wanted to help each mm. other that whole support and there was no defined job. I didn't care about a job title. I just wanted to get on with stuff. So it was literally, I'd be the one ordering the pizza or getting lunch mm-hmm. or trying to sort out some crazy go-karting event yeah. along with trying to build a sales team and developing revenue. <laughs> so yeah, it's good. Yeah. Sounds like a really diverse role and I'd love to know more about what it was that you really enjoyed about working in a small company or a startup. You know, you mentioned the camaraderie, which I'm assuming it's not quite the same in a larger organisation. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, inside the small company, we'll start with that sort of point first. It was, yeah, you sort of grow with the company. And what I've found over the sort of couple of startups that I've worked in, that's the piece that I like. So if I anchor it back, basically it's Sun, I started as a systems engineer, I worked with salespeople, um, sort of acted as their technical resource and helped them sell. But we worked in small business units. So we all knew each other and we knew if we needed something, the right person to connect to, to go and get something done, uh, in a sense. And and that was great. So that was that camaraderie you had there. But it was a little bit different in Oracle. Oracle was a different sort of beast and that didn't exist. It did exist, but not in the same sort of style um, that I, I was happy with. Inside the startup, it, what I loved about that was every day was totally different. In corporate, you start at the start of the year, you go to a presentation, they tell you what the playbook is for the year, what you're going to do, what the thing is. You spend two days in that, literally mm-hmm. wanting to pull your eyes out, and you get the deck, and it's like, right, okay, it's all about the values and this and the other. Okay, right, what is it this year? Boom. Startup land. You, do, you could do that and it would be ripped apart two days later because it's like, no, we're, we're going over it now. And there's still, you know, we still had a plan and we had to deliver against certain things, but every day would be totally different and we could experiment. We had, you know, the freedom from the investors to go and try different markets and different sales techniques and different aspects. Um, but also what I did like in, in both DataSift and Zendesk was this whole, right, okay, we need to do something. How do we do it? Well, we'll just have to work out how to do it, won't we? There's no, no, the answer wasn't no. Yeah. Computer says no. It was like, how do we build an event that can get a thousand people there in six weeks' time in the central London that's not going to lose money? Oh, God, really? And it was like, right, okay, so we'll, <laughs> we'll fa- let's find a venue first and let's do this. Let's work out with our partners and our marketing team and how much budget we've got. Um, and we can put a plan together. And let's just go for it because it has to work. And, and it was that sort of thing of like, right, okay, let's just stop everything and let's just make that happen then. <laughs> yeah. And was that the first time you'd ever done that sort of thing? Um, I'd, I'd done large events before or large sort of projects and things before okay. inside corporate land, but more structured because you've got a marketing team and you've got to get a sign off and you've got to go through approval. So it wouldn't be we'd do that sort of th- I'd do – when I was doing – my startup program, I was like the pizza man of London. I was spending over, over a thousand pounds, I hasten to maybe 2000 pounds a month on pizza because it was a little micro event. So in, in our office in London, we had um, a briefing center, a corporate briefing center. We could hold, I think just over about a hundred people. So I would host little micro events. And at the time it was around Ruby on rails or, uh twitter facebook they were also coming to market and things so I, I would be the host there to make people aware of what we were doing from a technology aspect um so it's literally right i'll buy here's my venue i'll buy some pizza you just bring people in and then they know that sun can do this so i was, I was used to being flexible shall we say <laughs> around that sort of thing but in, in when i was at zendesk it was literally Nick, the marketing director there, got asked to put this together and he's like, we need some partners to put some money in and we need some partners to be there to beef it up a little bit and stuff. And it's like, right, okay, well, and we didn't have a, we didn't have an agency building the event or doing this sort of stuff. It was just us hustling and, and it was predominantly his event. I was helping out. It's like, well, 
well, I'll just help. We'll just crack on and, you know, we'll use it as a chance then so I could bring my partners together and some of the sales team from their partners and we'll use it as a, an anchor point to get them together. Um, and again, it just sort of shows, uh, you know, the same in Datus, if we did some sort of similar hackathon type events where we had people coming in over the weekend to the office building applications on top of the product. It's like, how do we do that? It's like, right, okay, we'll just make sure we've got loads of pizza, loads of pop, loads of really bad food, an objective, a time, and <laughs> something they've got to deliver against, and people around that can help them. That's it. And we make it fun. That, that's all mm-hmm. we got to do. Um, yeah, yeah, so it was, again, it was just sort yeah. of, I think, you know, if you t- take anything away from whether it was Sun or Datasift or um, Zendesk, it was about there was a, a can-do attitude, a very positive attitude. Even though you were tired and exhausted, a lot of the time it was like, we can just do this. We can do it. There's a way around to make it happen. Right. Uh, whereas a lot of time in a lot of corporates, what you get is can't do that because it's 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 not policy. Or we need 500 people to sign off and agree with it, yes. and it's it, yeah. it it stifles innovation. People that innovate, they become borgs, they become drones, yes. and just like, okay, so January 5th, I've got all my objectives for the year, and by December 24th, I'll have ticked them all off. Okay, done. Right, okay. See you on December 24th then. Bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds a bit soul crushing, really. Yeah. But yeah. I love, you know, it sounds like you really got the opportunity to be so creative and problem solve on the go. But there was also a lot of unknowns. And yeah. I'd love to know have, you know, were you, have you always thrived in being in scenarios where it's unknown and, you know, I, I know for me, I can find that really stressful. It's exciting, but there's also a level of stress because you don't quite know where you're going. So have you always been able to manage that well or ha- have you had to pick up skills and mindsets along the way? I, I think without acknowledging it, but now looking back, it, it's I was the sort of person that would do a project the night before. <laughs> so, you know, do my... Um, <laughs> I can relate. My, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So it's like, oh, do my thesis. Okay. It's 15,000 words with a load of research. That's fine. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll do a little bit. I'll do a little bit. And it's like, oh, it's a week to go. Oh my God. Right. Okay. And I'll pull it together. So that's that sort sounds of, like my sister. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I perform better that way, um, which does frustrate people. I know it does because mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah, it's okay. We'll just, we'll get it sorted yeah. no matter what. I know, but I need a plan. I want, a, I want this. I'm like, I know, but it's just, that's just boring, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, and I do love project management and that sort of side. I just, I'm not very good at building that. Um, I can contribute to it. Whereas I'm like, say I'm more the thriving of, yeah, okay, we need to do this. So like my, my car show is in, um, six weeks times, uh, six weeks time, sorry. So we get about six to 7,000 people there, about 200 cars. Um, we have health and safety checks and all that sort of thing. Um, and this year we've got less volunteers than ever. So I'm sort of, spinning plates around that acting as trade and sponsor and sales and uh and it's all for charity we're all volunteers um but i'm quite enjoying it again because i'm just doing it on the fly it's like right okay we've got 100 cars signed up now i need another 100 cars how am i going to get them okay well i'm reaching out to every car club that i know i'm doing a normal thing um i'm on car shows on podcasts i'm doing this that, and the other and um whereas a lot of people look at it and go hmm we need a plan for this, really, don't we? It's like we, we have got a plan. It's just sort of, it's in my head. It's in my head. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's and more, it, more yeah. flexible and adaptive, yeah. which I think is well suited to the startup world. And it sounds like working in that space really allowed you to lean into your strengths. You know, you, you just work so well under those conditions, which is great. But you mentioned this car show you have coming up in six weeks. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so uh, it's called Pendle Power Fest. Um, so Pendle is a part of Lancashire. Um, it's been going, it's its 10th anniversary this year. Uh, and we're aiming to raise £10,000. We normally raise about 8000 We support uh, a local hospice, Pendleside Hospice and Northwest Air Ambulance. So it's run predominantly, there's, there's four, four volunteers and then another chap ropes and his daughter and son as well <laughs> um, to help out. And yes, yeah, so literally, we, we we hire a college, um, their car park that can hold roughly about two hundred cars. We get people to pay five or ten pound admission to come in uh, for cars, and uh, and all that money goes to charity. And it's a great day if it's sunshine. Not so great when it rains, but it's still good. 
Um, and every year we do that. So we volunteer, I don't know, God, it feels like it's like 50, 100 hours plus to make it all happen. Um, but it's just yeah. a lot of work. But it's, it's good because I enjoy cars. That's like my hobby um, type of thing. So it's nice to get a range of cars from the 1900s through to the latest supercars um, coming through. And then we, we have like model railways, scale electric, stuff like that as well. So, but, it, but again, really, ideally, we used to have somebody that managed that from a project side. And yeah, I, I'm not going to spend the time doing that project management. So literally, it's, I know that we've got to sell 200 cars. Right, okay, boom, that's one element. We need to get mm -hmm. some trade and sponsors in. That's another thing. I'll let everybody else take care of, like, managing the gate and the health and safety side because that's our skill set. I don't need to worry about that. Um, but, yeah, yeah, so I spend hours and any time that I get to, to make that happen. But but definitely, again, using some of the sort of skills from working in startups and different companies of hustling, <laughs> essentially, um, managing time but hustling to make things happen um quickly uh, and and i suppose pivoting a little bit on on occasion so it sounds yeah, like you all. have a real interest in cars and you know raising money for a hospice is such a worthwhile cause how did you get involved in this event initially because it sounds like you've been doing it for a while yeah so i've been involved for about 6 years now um it, it was predominantly I'd gone to the show. It's one of those things. We, we, we have the same problem now. Literally, it's the same day every year. It's the last Sunday. It's the last bank holiday of May. Right. Um, but I live in the village where it is, and I didn't even know it was on. So I'm driving past it. It was like, pull in. They go, oh, well, you can't come in because we're a, we're a fixed car show. You have to buy a ticket. Right. Um, so I was like, all right, okay. Well, I'll park up, and I'll come over and wander around. So I was just having a conversation like, well, if you like cars, you're always looking for volunteers. So, I do like cars, and what do I need to do? Yeah. Oh, not a lot, not a lot really. <laughs> um, <laughs> six years later, it's like, yeah, it's one of those that it's, it's good, it's worthwhile because we get to, um, you know, go around the hospice or with the air ambulance, we get to go and see, you know, where the money goes to, in a sense, what we've yeah. done, what we've helped raise and what we've helped support. So it's, it's great. Um, but also we get to see some lovely cars as well, motorbikes mm -hmm. and meet some nice people mm -hmm. um, and such. And then... Again, it, it's sort of a, if it's a really sunny day, it's a lovely day in an event with all the people there and children as well enjoying themselves. So it's sort of, it's a nice worthwhile thing. Um, yeah, as well. on it's many sort of fronts a, by the sound of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it just helps, well, it just helps out, doesn't it? It's payback, isn't it? It's like, there you go, I'll, I'll put something good back in that I can do and I get enjoyment from it as well. So it's, yeah. it's a win-win. Yeah, no, I think that's amazing. Um, and, you know, having had my mother in a hospice, like I really appreciate the the work that they do and it's a service that's just so needed. Um, oh, it is. And, you know, if you, can, if you can help out a service like that whilst also having fun, like it's perfect. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like I think we were saying before we started, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not very good at manual labour. So actually if I had to go around painting or doing something like that, um, I'd be exhausted, whereas this is more of like, oh, just – yeah, it's still tiring, but it's it's enjoyable tiring. It's a different sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And speaking of enjoyable tiring, when you were talking about working in the startup space, it sounds exhausting, but it also sounds very high reward. So can you share, like, how did you manage that? How did you, did you ever reach burnout or what was that like? Yeah, I mean, I did reach burnout. Uh, I've been divorced twice. So um, basically, and, and again, not, not through the companies, but just my own sort of determination to, to, to work. Um, so like DataSift, that uh, I lived in Reading, um, which is two, 300 miles away from where I live at the moment. So I'd spend my week down there, come home at the weekend. And yeah, I'd be exhausted because you're putting so much energy and passion into it that mm. you get to a point of, I'm just so tired, I can't even think. And then when you try and take a holiday, you can't take a holiday from a startup because there's, there's not enough resources um, around that. So, you, I mean, you can, but I'm just mm -hmm. not the sort of person would be like, leave things alone. It's like, oh, how things are going, what's going on? It takes me a week to yeah. detune. Um, but in Zendesk, I was mm -hmm. there, I think, three years or so. Um, and basically, we've gone through IPO. I'd built out my channel team. We were doing 
millions in revenue. But it got to a point of I just can't go to London anymore. I just my my second wife had said I can't. I don't want this anymore. I don't want this life of you're there. I'm here. And we see each other weekend and we're exhausted. And I, my mm-hmm. son was like 15 at the time, just going through his, his teenage stage as well. So she was having to help him grow up and go through that sort of pain point. Um, and it was just literally, I, I, like, I just don't, I can't mm-hmm. do this. Um, and I was quite lucky because a, a position inside Zendesk where actually I'd got some share money out of that. And it was like, right, okay. So there's a bit of, there's, you know, there's some buffer going on there. And because I was getting divorced, I could sell the house. I didn't need mm-hmm. this house anymore that we had that was ridiculously expensive. But it was just I'd got to that point of I don't like this anymore. And also the, the company, the way it was growing, mm-hmm. was getting to that point where the camaraderie wasn't there anymore as such. It was more of mm, can't help you. It's, that's not my job. Mm-hmm. I don't get paid for that. That's not my objective. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was, it was mm-hmm. growing large. And I was like, now's the time just to – step back a bit and see what I want to do and literally downsize, mm-hmm. not have to think, oh my God, I need to earn X amount of money to pay for this mortgage and everything else that we have that's like sort mm-hmm. of material things. Um, and that was that was about five years or so ago. I lose track of time. That was 20, I think that was 2017, 2016, maybe, yeah, a lot longer yeah, then. Right. Um, but then it made some more mistakes. But it was, it was, it was a time <laughs> as of, as we do. Um, but I really enjoyed the time at both Datasift and Zendesk. It was great. I loved it. And I would never change that. But it got to that point of, mm. I'm tired. It was like, I can't keep doing this traveling thing. Uh, I'm not enjoying it as mm-hmm. much anymore. And I don't have time to do anything else. I'm so I was so wound up about everything. It was literally... Yeah, I'd, I'd lost my mojo. It just wasn't fun anymore. And I didn't want to yeah. then leave and then go and jump into another company and do the same thing because it'd be the same, like, oh, yeah. you know, go and work in London or do this. And I don't want to work in London. I live in Lancashire. Yeah. It's like, I want to do something around here. Yeah. And for those of us who aren't in the UK, how far roughly is the commute from Lancashire to London? Um, so by train, it's, well, door to door, it's about, for me, it was three and a half to four hours um, oh, to get wow. there. So, yeah. Wow. Um, a lot of the time I'd be flying out from the airport, though, to uh, – I had a European team, so I'd be flying out from um, right. the airport. Or, like I say, getting up at half five, getting train at half six, wow. to get in the office roughly about half nine or so, nine, half nine, depending, wow. on, depending on the tube on the other end. Um, and then spend the week there and then get home about nine o'clock on Friday night uh, in between doing sales wow. calls and everything else. Uh, yeah, so and it takes its toll, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even though you're on a train and you still try to do some work, that's still tiring itself because there's lots of noise and it's yeah. going on. You've just had one of those weeks, yeah. oh, I just want to go home and have my tea and just chill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not around the corner. And even where I live now, I was doing some work in Manchester. That could be like an hour and a half to drive into town to go and do some mm-hmm. stuff, which is a lot easier. Um, whereas, again, I'm just getting lazy now. <laughs> well why should you have to do that if you know no you exactly it's like I, I now have a choice if i want to do that i can do if i want to go like i'm going to go to london for the right. podcast show yeah i'm looking yeah. forward to that because it's great i'll go and spend some yeah. time there and i'll go and see some old friends and but i'm not forced to have to do it on a routine and do it weekly yes. daily whatever yeah and i guess at the beginning you know the the trade-off of all that time away and the, and the commute was worth it because it was such an enjoyable job for you and exciting oh yeah it was and then by was, the very nature of startups they they don't stay in that phase forever do they and then yeah you reach that tipping point and that's why when i'd left zendesk and sort of going down that journey made some mistakes but one good thing that came out of it is help a little consultancy um and i I could do all the nice things, but not be there for the long term. I could go in and help and help them right. do things that I knew, had knowledge about, and then get out and go, yeah, see you later, bye. Sort out your internal politics now and do all your stuff about growth, but yeah. I'm, I'm not involved. <laughs> yeah, bye. See you later. I don't, I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. So that, that was fun. Yeah, sounds like you get all the best bits, all the bits you liked about startups and then could kind yeah. of leave the, the rest of it. So what gave you the idea of going into consultancy? So when, when I left on desk, um, sold the house, rented this little space for six months, five years later, um, 
And I sense, madly enough, because I was going through a divorce and I didn't have my, my little guiding light to tell me not to be stupid. Uh, my wife was really good at that. Um, <laughs> I put some money into a furniture shop, which was 100 miles away. Mm, don't don't do that. Don't do that. Ridiculous. Um, I put a big <laughs> chunk of money into a blockchain cannabis crypto company that was uh, some friends of mine that had done some work for. I was actually doing some small contracting work for the local council here around digital innovation. Um, so essentially, it's like right, okay, um, I've lost all my money, and I haven't really got a lot of backup. And I've been a bit stupid, so what do I do? Mm. Well, for 20 or 30 years, whatever, we'll do, we'll say 20. That's, that sounds a lot better. 20 years. I've been working with companies, <laughs> helping them build indirect sales team and channel and sales sales through what we term as resellers. So why don't I take the good bits of that? So when I joined Zendesk, it was the whole thing of, yeah, we've got all the stuff that you need. And then you join the company. It's like, no, we ain't got any of that. You've just got to get on with it and just... We're a startup. We're only 250 people. Just get on with it. It's like, right, okay. Um, so I thought, well, there must be other companies around there that, that need that type. They, they don't want to commit to hiring somebody, but they want to look mm -hmm. at um, selling through third-party resellers. Um, so I just tested the market a bit and got a couple of customers and some people that I knew from Zendesk got me some customers. And I was like, oh, that's quite good. Um, I'm just telling them stuff that I know already. I don't have to worry about the internal politics. I'm helping them grow and I'm getting paid. And yeah, I just carried on doing that for a while. It's like, yeah, that'll, that'll pay the way um, around that. And that sort of led to, uh, I've been part of this mastermind group for a long, or this sort of private forum type group called the Dynamite Circle for a long time. And I worked with some companies in there. And one of them I had some long conversations with was Ray, um, who, my co-founder from Podcast Hawk who was looking to try and drive sales of his language business through partners. Um, so that's, that's sort of technically how we, we've never, we, we've been in the same room, but we've never technically met each other, even though we're the founders of a software company that's been going a couple of years. Um, yeah. That's how we met through my, my original consultancy. The consultant business was really great because it gave me the freedom of, I can go and do something I enjoy. I can get paid some money for it and actually not, you know, I can learn as well as I'm going through and I can work with these smaller companies in the exciting time, that sort of growth time where they're um, mm -hmm. being dynamic. But also I don't have to just bring them stuff from consulting from the channel. It's about here's what not to do. Here's what we did at Zendesk or if that didn't work. Here's some of the mistakes that I've learned. Don't do this. Please don't do that or don't do the other. So it was, yeah, it was, it was great. Did you find it was a bit easier to keep that work-life balance in check when you were consulting? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Um, well, yes and no, because with consulting, you have to take the work when it's there and you put yourself through, right. I suppose, over-demands because it's literally, right, okay, I, I need to be working seven days a week in a sense or a lot because, you know, around the corner, you may not have some work for a couple of months or whatever time. Mm. And then obviously when COVID hit, everything just dropped out straight away. So literally I had been doing that. I've been sort of going, right, okay, I need to have X amount of money. I'm not going to make that mistake again um, mm -hmm. and invest in stupid things. And that's what I did. I built up a buffer um, around that side. So there were times where I was just stressed, but in a good way stressed in terms of, like, I can manage this, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a lot going on. And then it's like, right, okay, now when there's downtime, um, I can go and play with my cars or I can go and do some stuff that I enjoy. I can go and yeah. do some nice stuff. Not, not this constantly where you're in a sort of startup and you're on a paid salary where it's literally, even when you're in holiday, it doesn't stop. It's you don't, you can't manage yeah. it. You, you have no control over it. Whereas working for yourself, even in podcast hawk, it's like, I've got loads of stuff going on this morning and this afternoon I'm going to the unit. I'm going to, go and try and get some oil leaks sorted out of my car again. Um, I'm going to do that because I've got a choice. It's like, I don't have to tell anybody I'm doing that. It's like, no, yes. I've done, done yeah. what I want to do because what I'll do is I'll probably catch up on some work tomorrow when, it, you know, it's Saturday and maybe a bit, I've got some downtime then. So, so consultancy sounds like it had all of the best, best bits, your favourite bits from working in the startup world. And whilst 
there were other pressures and stresses because you weren't always sure when the work would come. I think overall it really sounds like you you got a lot of joy from that. And I I think there's a lot of people now that are curious about dipping their toe in sort of doing their own thing but are a bit scared. What would you say to those people who are just really on the fence and don't know what to do but deep down they've just got this itch to give something a go? Would you have any advice for them? You know, my, my path was sort of a bit different because it was sort of driven um, by what happened in life, in a sense. Um, I didn't choose right. to do consulting. Um, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I had an itch. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really enjoyed it and found, yeah, it's, it's definitely for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's funny because I am talking to some people at the moment who are in that same vein. They've got a full-time job. They enjoy it. But they feel that they're missing something. But they've got that family commitment you know mortgage house all the sort of general sort of stuff Mm -hmm. and what i was saying what i said to them is why don't you just try it as a bit of a side hustle you know try it out work Mm -hmm. with some clients whether you know work at the weekend engage or talk to your boss and say look i want to experiment with this because i'm I'm a bit frustrated um, around it like when i was working Mm -hmm. in the steel firm it was i want to go back to uni i want to do some other stuff i was open about it and they supported me Mm-hmm. it's like anything in life into it? it's if you don't try it you feel you've missed out and it may be the right or the wrong thing yeah. um, around that but you need to go through that itch and it could just literally be <clears throat> talk to some existing customers and help what i used to do at sun it wasn't paid work but i'd you know mentors a bit of a, a wonky word into it but with some of the startups, they want some basically they want someone that's a bit older to tell them all the stuff that they're doing is right or wrong. <laughs> so it's like men, you know, mentoring. <laughs> you know, you can you can you can do that as a consultant with people without getting paid and experiment. Is it you know, could I be a coach? Could it be a sales coach? Could it be a marketing coach? Could it be a mentor? Um, and you can do that again in the guise of your full time job and see, oh, would I enjoy doing this? Because it sounds really great, but actually you may get a bit bored. Um, so I'd say to anybody that's looking at it, go and, go and look at ways to go and experiment. Because it may it may not be you. You may yeah. be, yeah, you're really good at a full-time job and you love it. When you go and work for yourself, you can't cope with those stresses of, I've got to get, you know, in one hand I've got to keep getting this work in. I've got to find new work over here. Do I grow my consultancy and hire people? And do I go like an agency model and I've got more headaches um, around that? Or do I just keep on doing what I enjoy in my job and, and go through that career path um, around that? It depends. Mm. Again, do you, do you like taking risks or not? Because it can be, you know, it is risky um, you, yeah. once you're down that path. Yeah, that's a really good point. I love what you were saying about experimenting because I think one of the worst things you can do is just, get caught up in oh what if all these what ifs you're just going to have to at some point take some action and I think your advice about just you know maybe doing it as a bit of a side hustle and experimenting in that way is quite a a safe way to do things Um, because like you say it is risky and you do need a certain risk appetite would you say you're someone who is risk averse oh yes now now definitely yeah having gone through yeah, and when I say risk averse, I suppose risk averse in terms of making investments and financially um, around that sort of. Right. I won't, I won't take yeah. a risk because I'm I'm 52 now, and as you get older in life, you get I can't remember what the term is, but basically you can't you, you can't earn as much. So in your 30s or your 40s, you can take more risk because you've got a chance of making that financial risk back up again. Um, whereas in your fifties, it's harder. Mm. I couldn't be employed. Nobody would employ me now. I couldn't get a job to save my life, um, is one thing. So I have to make my own destiny so I can put somebody on the lottery tickets, marry a very rich lady or, or just go down a route of trying to make some money. Um, <clears throat> but my time span to make that money is reducing quicker than obviously somebody in the thirties who can go, yeah, I've lost everything, but mm. I can start again. Um, and I can still get it all back again. Um, so I am less risk 
verse in that sort of aspect. So, so again, with Podcast Hawk, you know, we're, we're, we're building that business up, get it to a point where it's self-sustaining, it's generating loads of revenue and take salary out and such. But that's still a risk for me because I've stepped away more from my consulting and not taking consulting clients to put more time to grow that business. So, yeah, you know, that that is a risk, but I'm still very risk-averse. It's still a managed balance of this has to work. It's a bit like when, it's, you know, with Zendesk or Data if it's – it's it's got. I know it will work, but it's got to work because I'm putting more commitment into that, spending less time um, trying to find new consulting clients. And I guess your answer surprised me a bit because leaving your, you know, you built up this consultancy for I think you said last time we spoke about four years. You you built that up and it was yeah. quite successful, and then you've left that for a startup, which to an outsider like me, it seems like that's a huge risk. So. I'm wondering, like, can you share with us that transition? Like, how did this happen? What was that decision like? And how did you, in your mind, kind of, I guess, think about mitigating the risk you were taking on? So like I said, sort of, me and Ray have not physically met still. Um, and we were, you know, having some conversations and, and generally talking. And we came up with this, con- we were talking about podcasts, essentially. And, and Ray wanted to get on podcasts to promote mm-hmm. his language business. And he saw guest podcasting as being that route to go. And I, when I was at Datasift, I set up this organization called Big Data Week, which I sold, which was a um, the biggest global gathering of data nerds. We love data um, going. So I came at it. I wanted to look at podcast data and what was the impact of being a guest on the show from, again, because of the social media and psychology, sort of that social media metric base and the psychological aspect. And we were just chatting away. And Ray said, well, I've actually just set up this company. Come and have a demo of it. It's a bit raw. It's called Podcast Hawk. I was like, oh, great. And I had a go and I accessed it. I was like, well, who's, he said, it's just me. So I've got my language business and Ray likes to do multiple things at once, lots of big projects and stuff. I'm like, well, I'm interested in that because I was going to do this. So we had that conversation. Well, well, why don't you come and join me? Um, you know, we'll work out some, mm. some, some model that works. And that was about 18 months ago. Um, so what I've done over time, I've gradually put more time into Podcast Hawk and reduce time in consulting and kept it going a little bit, obviously, to pay bills and okay. do stuff. Um, but over this year, committed mm-hmm. into Podcast Hawk, as in, right, I'm deciding this is the route we're going. I totally believe in it. I know it's the right way to go. Mm-hmm. What we offer as a product and the service to market is amazing. Um, so I'm in. And, yeah, I suppose it does look risky, but over the consulting side... I've built up a buffer of time that um, I can pay my bills. I live quite, mm. I know it's about cars and stuff, but I live quite frugal um, in a sense. I live on my own. I don't have to worry mm. about my son's growing up. He's not going to college or university fees. Um, so I've scaled back my outgoings so that I can do this, um, this aspect and put, put the time and energy into it and, and raise um, you know, he's he's more been funding it than, than I can. I'm funding it from time and putting more time into it to grow out um, mm-hmm. the opportunity. So, yeah, there is risk in it because if it all goes wrong, the backup plan is I have to go back in, into consulting, but I have to build that back from scratch again. Um, you know, it's start from zero, basically. Mm. It sounds like you're fairly good at managing risk, though, because um... – you didn't drop everything and do podcast hawk. You were saying you slowly sort of have yeah, worn that down I, and just have little bits going. So, you know, and you're mindful you need a bit of that runway and you're thinking about, okay, if it all goes to shit, here's <laughs> my backup plan, yeah. which I think is important to think about. But, you know, I can tell that you're really passionate about podcast hawk and that you believe in it, which, you know, you, you need that to be able to be in a risky situation like that. But can you share with us, what is Podcast Hawk? Yeah, really simply, it's basically a way of automating uh, appearances on podcasts as a guest. Um, and it's one of those areas, so podcasts in, in general as audio is growing, obviously people listen to this. But as a guest, it's it's sort of an unseen aspect of what the benefits are. And me and Ray came in, from, like I say, from different angles. But what we do as a software product is automate the research and the outreach of 
getting onto shows like this. So rather than having to go to Google or mm -hmm. um, iTunes, et cetera, and try and find a podcast, and then you realize, oh, I found 10 podcasts really good. Boom, yeah. Five of them I haven't had a show for the last two years. Right, okay, I'll go back to researching again. Yeah. So we help automate all that aspect. And then when it comes to emailing out the host, we have the host details that we've, we've got. And we have like a, like a MailChimp in MailChimp, so a campaign tool. So that automates that all the, the email for you mm -hmm. with templates. So you don't have to do any of that. So what would take normally hours and hours of work, we can do that in less than 15 minutes. Well, I'll say we, the software can do it um, in less than 15 minutes. So yeah, 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 it's like, it's, it's great. I mean, that's a huge value proposition. It is. It's, and that's why for me and for Ray as well, but for me, it's like, if you're a business and you want to promote yourself or personal brand or, or even, you know, generally try and find people that have been on podcasts that you want to talk to, we help with all of that. And if you're an agency or an individual, um, so it's just got different scenarios um, and use cases against it. And, and we are, um, I don't know if it translates well, we eat our own dog food in terms of, I use podcast talk for our marketing because I reach out to podcasts to appear on podcasts to talk about yeah. guest podcasting, So, um, which, is, which is great. And also I use it to appear on car shows as well. So it, it scratches in it. <laughs> That's quite handy. <laughs> you have to believe in something and be passionate about it and you're willing to take some risk for that um, to make it happen. Because mm. otherwise, if you, if, if you don't, there isn't the energy or the impetus there. It's like, you know, why, why did it get up this morning? Because I wanted to be on your podcast and right. come and talk to you and such like that and go and do some software and go and promote it and things like that. Otherwise, it's like, oh, you know, it's just some stuff I've got to do. It's No, you need to have that bounce. And yeah. I'm not a morning person by any means. So. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Neither am I, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Can you share what is it that keeps you going? Because I've never been involved in a startup or, or been a co-founder or anything like that, but I imagine that it's really tough and there's some days it just feels too hard. So what keeps you going? Yeah, I think most days it's too hard because, uh, and again, until we get to a point where we have a team and such like that, for me, like I was saying earlier, you know, I'm spinning multiple plates as Ray comes on and does more um, transitions out of his old company, similar to it, you know, and he comes on and do, does more. But it's that, I think what keeps me going is new things and stuff that I can do and experiment and then talking to customers. So I've got a call um, after this, I've got a demo with a customer that's in um, Zimbabwe who's an agency out there. Um, and later on tonight, Got a call with Pat Flynn and Matt. Um, talking oh, about I'm a huge talk. Pat Flynn fan. Um, yeah. And it's just so varied. And, and that keeps you going because you get great feedback around that. Whereas, <clears throat> you know, when you're in Zendesk or Oracle or Sun, you were sort of detracted. You speak to customers and they could give you feedback, but you couldn't do anything about it. Hey, it's something like when we were doing the challenge and somebody said about the search function, I went back to our CTO and we, we – well, we made the change last week and we pushed it. Done, great. Um, you know, it's it's that sort of thing. Amazing. So for me, it's yeah. just being able to see that growth and direct that growth and think, oh, we did that. We 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 made that happen, um, which is great. And go and talk mm -hmm. about it as you know. Uh, when it, when I worked at Sun, I was dead proud of going out and talking about Sun and wearing my Sun T-shirt or whatever. Same with Podcast Talk. I go and talk about Podcast Talk. It's like, what is it? <clears throat> and I've got my brand on and I'm just, I'm proud of it. So, um, mm. yeah, I think it's sort of, it's like building a house. I can't build a house to show my skill set and stuff, but if I can help build this software company and help people along the way and, again, give something back, yeah, that, that keeps me going. No, that sounds amazing. And, yeah, I can just hear that you believe and are, are passionate about this. And I I think it's amazing. You know, for me, I'm just starting my podcast. And, yeah, I've had a little dabble behind the scenes and on in Podcast Hawk, and it's phenomenal. You know, if because if, prior to that, I was trying to go out and, like you say, you're searching through Apple Podcasts or Googling things, and it's just, honestly, it's a waste of time and very frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, 
and <laughs> it is, and, and, and that's that's what we we used to do. That's where we started. It was like, oh, it's Sunday afternoon. I'll I'll do this. Five hours later, oh, I've got a list yeah. of ten podcasts that I may have some email addresses on. Yeah, uh, and it's just like really, and, and and then you just don't do it. You're like, really? and then you go in the sort of two sided marketplaces, exactly. but you're hoping that somebody finds you as a guest and wants to book you. But that's then down to you, like mm. you, Rosie, as a host, going to do that work to go and find your guests. It's like, well, I ain't got time for that. Yeah. So why am I doing this? Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's genius. And I think it's a great way to build community as well. Like I'm someone who's really passionate about surrounding myself with exciting people who do exciting things and hearing stories. And I think, you know, going on other people's podcasts is a great way to to learn about what other people are up to and form new relationships and connections around the world. So I think it's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, if, if anyone's curious about Podcast Talk, where can they go to find out more? Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll have some links to share, but yeah, podcasthawk.com. Um, you'll find me on there, mm-hmm. Stuart at podcasthawk.com. We're all over social, just come and ask away. Uh, and, and funny enough, I'm just building out some content now into a little small community because, again, I want to get to a space cool. where people are sharing their experiences and how mm. they've got um, diff- different guest appearances and how that has appeared and some of the templates they've used. But also just, again, it's like, you know, what have they learned from it? How how are they leveraging it? What's the benefit? And it does. it's not... It's not a one-sided direction. It's about what is the host getting from this as mm-hmm. well and what's our audience getting. Mm-hmm. Now, we, when we talk to mm-hmm. clients and we talk about this, it's like you you can't just send an email to a host and appear because you're Stuart from Podcast Hawk. You've got to have a story. You've got mm-hmm. some value because it's not them. It's it's the audience. It's the audience are listening in because they mm-hmm. want to learn or gain something. If you can't give that, just don't bother, <laughs> honestly, because it's, yeah. it's, it's just <laughs> – it's just not, you know, it's not worth doing. Yeah. I think you have to lead with value, don't you? Like, you know, yeah. if you're not delivering yeah. that value, then like you say, don't bother. Exactly. <laughs> and speaking of the podcast thing, I heard that you're on a mission to appear on a hundred podcasts this year. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah. So it's, it's the eat, eat your own dog food syndrome again. So uh, I set myself a challenge this year. Ray Ray had set himself a challenge when he first set up the company up to be on 50 podcasts, so he's done that. And I'm not competitive, but I want to beat Ray. So I'm, I'm on for 100, which wow. I'm flagging behind on the first quarter because we've we've had some other aspects that we've been doing around the sort of the podcast challenge and that sort of thing. Um, I'm now geared up for this quarter um, to start accelerating that. So literally using podcast talk and reaching out and again, not just going to promote the tool, but to go and share knowledge and such. So whether it's mm-hmm. on car shows or sales shows or whatever it is, it's that, it's that challenge. But also again, you know, we live in a society now where it's sort of, we've come out of that space and now it's like, Oh, I can go and talk to people. I can go to events. I can go and engage again. And podcasts are a great way to do that. Not, not in a physical sense, but just to kickstart that off and, and, and have some conversations and go, so what's happening in Australia? What's going on over there? What's happening in APAC? Yeah. What's happening in the U S um, you know, it just seemed like we were quite contained for a while. Whereas now it's like, no, mm. I, I want to know what's happening everywhere. Um, so I'm using it as a yeah. way of sort of, again, not just European, but let's go in the sort of wider outreach of podcasts on a geographic basis. Um, that's the more mm-hmm. exciting thing for me. So see where the yeah. emerging markets are. Yeah, sounds really fun. And so how many podcast episodes have you been on this year so far? Uh, I've only been on 15 up to now, so I'm behind. Only. Uh, yeah, so I need, to, <laughs> I need to start pushing. I mean, you say only 15, but you've that's that's still a huge amount and I'm sure – you know, you'll be able to pick up momentum because, you know, whilst you're not competitive, I'm sure you'll be great. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a target. <laughs> I'll be there still yeah. trying to, uh, try to get them sorted before um, the, the end of December, most definitely. Oh, well, Stu, on that note, we'll wrap up. I just want to say a huge thank you. Um, it's been great to chat and learn a bit about your life story and what you're doing at Podcast Hawk. And before um, before we finish, is there any sort of take-home message you'd like to to share with the audience? Um, yeah, I think, well, well, again, thank you for inviting me on. It's been great. Really enjoyed it. But I think 
you know, from, from a takeaway, and I think we've touched upon this a couple of times, is if you, you're looking to explore consultancy or you're looking to explore working in a smaller company or you're looking at that, then, yeah, have, have a bit of a plan around it. But depending where you are in your sort of life and time and sort of commitments, you need to go for it at some stage because otherwise what will happen is you'll look back and have some regret or, or not, mm. but you'll look back and go, oh, God, I wish I would have done that. Why don't I do that? At least if, if I made a mistake mm. and I failed, doesn't matter. You've done it. You've ticked your box. Um, so I'd say, you know, look at it. Put, put some risk plan together if you want to around that sort of thing. Have some buffer or... Yeah, just go for it. Um, but at least you can say then I've done yeah. that um, aspect and enjoyed it. And yeah, you know, working in a small company has its pros and cons. Working in a big company has its pros and cons as well. Uh, until you experience that, you don't know. So yeah, give it a go. Well, exactly. You don't know if yeah. you don't try. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just go do it. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, Stu. It's been great. Hey, no, thanks. Thanks for the It's been great. It's, uh, yeah, re- revived some good memories and some good times. But yeah, thanks, Rosie. If this episode resonated with you at all, could I please ask that you share it with a friend who you think could get value from it? And whilst you're doing that, make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss another episode. And whilst you're following or subscribing, please leave us um, a rating, preferably five stars, and also a written review. Doing each of these things is going to help this podcast reach more people and impact more lives, which is at the end of the day is what we're here to do. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Remember, you matter, you're worth it, and you are so, so capable. Take care of yourself, and I'll see you next week.